When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. To episode 10 or Team of Our Lives, the nostalgic football podcast that celebrates the beautiful game in the 2000s. My name is Ollie, and joining me this week, as ever, is Mr. Harry Hatswood as we take a look back at the 2002 World Cup. Looking forward to this one, Mr. Harry Hatswood. Uh, uh, yeah, for sure. It's a very memorable, uh, very memorable uh, World Cup. Certainly is, certainly is, and it was kind of the first one I was fully invested in, as a, as I'm sure we'll kind of get onto. But before that, let me remind you: if you're not already, follow us on Twitter at Team of Our Lives. The Instagram is ultimate eleven football. And if you want to email us in with any stories you have about football at all in the noughties or just in general, it's Team of Our Lives at gmail Now we've got the admin out of the way. I've got a confession, and I'm not sure I've told this story before, so I'm going to use this opportunity on what will be the uh, penultimate episode of Series 1 to come clean, because I think I can kind of get away with telling this story now. If you are a past employer of mine, turn this episode off, delete it <laughs> off your iPod, never listen to it again. I'll give you 10 seconds to do that. 
<laughs> Deleted it? Good. Okay, here we go. Um, I'm not going to mention the company, but I was working for a company that meant I had to travel a lot to London um, and go on very corporate, very high-profile meetings discussing budgets, all the, all the cliché. I was, I was head of a company. And, um, yeah, so every month I'd have to fly to London from an undisclosed location <laughs> <laughs> and uh, go to these really boring corporate meetings, which just isn't me at all. I'll be completely honest, I was doing it for the money and nothing else. Um, and they, when I was relatively new to the company, they booked me into this training programme. Um, so I had to fly from where I was living at the time, again, undisclosed, um, fly into London, and I had three days of training in, in, in head office in London. And I was always a bit, I was a bit pessimistic already because my feeling of the company is that they presented themselves as a very forward thinking kind of modern company. But in reality, they were just as corporate and just as boring as any other massive corporate Amazon, McDonald's, Coca-Cola, any of those boring cliche business models. So I was already going into this three days of training a little bit pessimistic. And it was always, it was also just going to be me. So anyway, when I arrived at the training facility, at the head office, they weren't expecting me there. So I was like, hmm, okay. Turns out they didn't even have a training program kind of sorted out for me. So I was like, okay. But they said, don't worry, take a seat in the office. We'll get, we'll get some people to show you around while we're um, kind of uh, just trying to sort it out and find out what you're meant to be doing here. And I was like, okay, this is a multi-billion pound company and they've just they're clueless that I'm even supposed to be their company. So I thought, okay, well, they're paying for a hotel. They're paying for my food. I've got a company card. What else <laughs> can I do? So what I done, and this is really bad. So obviously they track your expenses and they can track your card. But if you use the card to take cash out, they can't track where the cash is going. <laughs> so I may or may not have used a company's money to buy FA Cup tickets <laughs> to, um, what was the game I went to? I went to watch Fulham versus Oldham on the Saturday. On the Sunday, I bought some more FA Cup tickets to watch Crystal Palace against Grimsby Town. <laughs> and then on the Monday morning, it was the Carabao Cup semi-final between Chelsea and Tottenham. So I purchased some more semi-final, semi-final tickets at Wembley to watch Chelsea versus Tottenham. And I, oh, man. And then when I got back, to uh, my usual office in an undisclosed location. Um, they said, did you enjoy your training? I was like, yes, I did very much. They were none the wiser. They assumed, the head office assumed I was out with someone doing some training and my home location, my home office, thought I was still doing training somewhere else. Unbeknownst to them, I was watching two FA Cup games in a semi-final. <laughs> At their expense, I might add. No one ever I'm questioned not- about the uh, withdrawals. Well, I just said I spent it. Well, no, well, certainly they did question it. And they said, oh, you're not meant to take cash out on the card. I just said, oh, no one told me that. And just said I spent it on food and travel. <laughs> um, so, yes, we'll be reviewing the 2002 World Cup. We've also got some Kevin Friends reunited coming up. Some Balak to the future. People enjoyed that last week. Deal and no deal is coming back. And we always end the podcast on starting 11. Anyway, the 2002 World Cup. So, Although I do remember the 1998 World Cup, I was too young to be kind of emotionally invested in it. So four years later, while sitting down in primary school doing my sats, the 2002 World Cup was my introduction to the anger, the frustration, 
the belief and the raw joy of international football. I would come to understand quite quickly that this is quite simply the greatest show on earth with the greatest players coming together and others can become great and remembered in the history books of their country and your nation, wherever you come from, has a chance of being immortalised in the sands of time. What a competition, Harry, first and foremost. What a competition. Yeah, incredible. I'm a, I've got a very similar story to you. Like I, I would say my first football memory is... 1998 World Cup just sitting on the edge of like my parents bed and seeing it on TV but obviously way too young to really understand it and uh, I always thought I was doing my sats but then maybe I wasn't maybe I was year five but I was like going in early to school for breakfast club to watch games and uh, I remember like weird things I remember I remember like the football uh, shape and like design of a uh, cereal bowl you'd get free with like Kellogg's or whatever. Yeah, I remember like Walkers bringing crisps out called like Cheese and Owen and things like this. But like r- seriously, just for the first time I've become completely obsessed with a football tournament was this tournament. It's, it's, it's one thing we've seen with like the end, the dramatic rise and end of the Super League last week is that football for some reason it just translates across all borders, boundaries, religions, races. And everyone comes together in support of the greater thing. And it's the same thing when your nation plays in the tournament. There's no right or wrong. There's no left or right. It's just you're fully behind that vehicle. Sure. And, as, and as Patrick Bamford said, it's, it's a shame that that can't be used to fight racism, misogyny, homophobia in kind of everyday life. But for some reason, it just doesn't work like that. But that is a glorious thing of football and especially a World Cup. In 2002 was my first taste of that. And ever since, I think that is probably what kicked off my football obsession, if I'm perfectly honest. Mm. That and the 99 trouble, but we don't want to... That's that's another podcast for another day. So, Harry, when when I say 2002 World Cup, what instinctively comes to your head? Spoiler alerts if you want. Uh, Well, instinctively, it's just that early morning football that we've we've not quite had again until next year, maybe a little bit. But, um, yeah, I just remember, like, uh, obviously, the England sort of uh, run and... The, the excitement of uh, th- thinking we're going to get past this quarterfinal after Mike Owen scores, and then obviously uh, what happened happened, but we'll get on to that. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, obviously there's some other massive things happening, like France just not turning up, Senegal surprising everyone, uh, Korea surprising people, and then obviously the controversy that surrounds some of their games. We'll get on to that as well. Thing is, yeah. with France as well, people forget they, they won the World Cup in '98. Then he won the Euros yeah. uh, with, a, with a David Trezeguet golden goal. Um, and this is the last World Cup with the golden goal rule. Obviously, it happened in the Euros in 2004, and then it was scrapped. Only, I thought, I thought in my head when I was younger, I thought golden goal was around. For like, I thought that just was the rule in football, but I think it was yeah. brought in. It was brought in in like 1992. Was it? It only lasted 12 years. It was. It was a complete failure. I think they should bring it back, personally. I think um, no, I always enjoyed it. Yeah, I think because England do so poorly at penalties, we'd have more chance of winning in the golden <laughs> goal situation. That's my theory. Um, so maybe we should bring it back. Maybe we should, we should put a poll out on Twitter. Should golden goal come back whenever this uh, episode comes out? But yeah, same as you, um, France not doing well. Senegal really entertaining to watch. Korea entertaining to watch. 
I remember Turkey doing really well as well. I think they made it. They made it, well. they made it to the semis, didn't they? Um, we'll get on to that as well. But as I kind of alluded to earlier, it was my first introduction to a whole. You know, I experienced in the playgrounds at school was very much always Man United against Liverpool fans, and people pretending to be David Beckham and people pretending to be uh, Owen or Gerard or uh, Fowler at the time. But this is the first time we were all unified in uh, taking on the world, really. Should probably mention as well, it's Sven Joran Eriksson's first tournament with uh, with England as well. Ah, yes. So, should yeah. we get on to... Um, I've done a little bit of research on the qualification, which, stay with me, listeners, was actually really interesting. Um, found out a lot of kind of stats and interesting things. Um, so, Harry, you noticed a few new teams qualified this um, for this 2002 yeah. tournament. So, this, uh, yeah, so this tournament... China, Ecuador, Senegal, and Slovenia all qualified for the first time. Um, I think out of those, only China haven't qualified since. Yeah, that's right. I think this was their only tournament they've been a part of, if I'm not mistaken. Might have got that wrong. History buff. I believe so. But there we go. Um, yeah, to go along with what Harry said as well. So Turkey qualified for the first time since 1964. I always thought Turkey were a kind of mainstay, um, mainstay team in kind of global football. But this is the first time they qualified in 50 years. And as we'll get on to, they made it to the semis. Um, they lost to Brazil. It's incredible. It was a really, very talented Turkish squad as well. And that kind of rejuvenated football within Turkey, which is why Fenerbahce and Galatasaray, Besiktas um, are doing so well now. Not too much Eastern ball, Besiktas. I think they won, they, won, they won the Turkish league last year and they're going to get relegated this year. I don't think that's ever happened in any of Europe's top leagues. Um, yeah, apart from Juventus when the whole scandal went down that's another episode in itself um, <laughs> Poland and Portugal qualified for the first time since 1986 um, teams that didn't make it Romania had a good team in the 90s they were expected to make it and didn't Colombia had an exceptional team around that time yeah. um, but with the whole Escobar drug scandal in Colombian football at the time that team completely went off the edge of a cliff and didn't qualify for the 2002 World Cup and the Netherlands as well also didn't qualify, yeah. um, which is a big, big shock. So they had a very, very talented team, one of the best teams at the 98 World Cup. And um, yeah, a bit of a surprise they didn't make it uh, to a career in Japan. Did you know China only qualified, narrowly missing out? Do you know what team nearly qualified instead of them? Uh, not off the top of my head. Yeah, I'd be very surprised if anyone guesses this. The United Arab Emirates nearly qualified oh, wow. for the first. I think they were only behind by a point and China pipped them to the post. So if you think, if you, if you think about China's population, like over a billion. Oh. And the United Arab Emirates, I don't know, I can't imagine it's more than a million. Yeah, no, I'm, not, I'm sure it's not. It's one of those um, countries where most of the uh, most people live there are immigrants as well. That's so. right, yeah. It's where they all their players from. Um, <laughs> <laughs> political... <laughs> um, Senegal nearly didn't qualify so one of the most entertaining teams of this particular World Cup they only qualified by a point as we know they were level on points with Morocco they qualified by goal difference um, to get into this tournament which is pretty mad uh, in European qualification Yugoslavia only missed out by a point uh, the Netherlands lost out to Portugal and Ireland so Portugal and Ireland knocked out Yugoslavia which, and the Netherlands Yugoslavia the last time they were Yugoslavia before they Broke up into Serbia, Montenegro, and uh, everything else. Um, in Australasia and the kind of South Pacific Islands, qualification was really interesting. Have you heard of a man called Archie Thompson? 
Ta- tell me about him. Just, okay, so he was a striker. He was a striker who was born in New Zealand, but he, he played for Australia. And okay. he has the record to this day. Uh, actually, no, sorry. He was in the qualification process for the 2002 World Cup. He was top goal scorer forever for the whole world okay. uh, by scoring 16 goals. But 13 of those goals... <laughs> 13 of yeah, 30, no, 13 of yeah 13 of those goals um came against American Samoa oh, which they won 31 nil which to this day is still a record so Australia have the record for the highest victory in a world cup game qualification game technically but they still count and Archie Thompson has the record for the highest scorer uh, within a world cup qualification slash whatever games games per goal ratio I guess um, still has that record to this day instead of Australia, which is mad. Did you know also eventual winners Brazil had their worst ever qualifying campaign? They actually lost six matches uh, trying to qualify for the tournament and nearly didn't. Oh, wow. um, also in the final, of course, no spoiler alerts because this tournament was nearly 30 years ago. Um, <laughs> but obviously Germany made it to the final as well. And did you know they didn't qualify as well? They had to, they had to qualify via the playoffs. Because they were in the same group as England, obviously okay. we beat them. We beat them five one in Munich. I don't know if you know that, yeah. but we did. Um, <laughs> which meant we England finished top of our group, so we got automatic qualification. Um, Germany had to qualify via the playoffs because they were one of the top seeded teams, um, and they only narrowly beat someone, someone random. It was Israel or someone like that. Might be in Israel or Greece. Um, Another record was broken in this qualification process. The youngest player ever to play in a FIFA World Cup qualification game or play a game under the FIFA banner was a young man named Sonny Mane Mama, who played for Togo. But how old was he? The youngest ever player. Is he like 14 and just just under 15 by like a few days or something? He was 13 and 310 what? days. Now, I must caveat that by saying, depending where you look, some articles say he was actually 18, but had a fake um, passport or something. Um, But most articles actually do say he was actually 13. Crazy. And he's, again, to this day, remains allegedly the uh, youngest ever person to play under a FIFA, for a FIFA qualifying game. Um, And do you know who he signed for after the 2002 World Cup? No idea. Manchester United. Oh, wow. He was one of those players where we had that weird scouting system and we just try and pick up all the talent before they become talent. Yeah. Um, you know, with all the likes of Jemba Jemba and, you know, to a certain extent, Anderson, uh, De Silva. He never actually played a game for Manchester United. He went because he couldn't get a work permit. Yeah. <laughs> Well, he was only 13. He was only yeah, 13. Yeah. Kids. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he did go and play for like Anderlecht and Club Brew. He'd basically done like a tour of Belgium and then kind of never materialised into a decent player. Who is uh, Freddie Adu? Exactly, yeah, pretty much. Um, the fastest ever hat-trick was scored in the qualification process uh, by the Egyptian Abdul Hamid Basuni. Um, scored a hat-trick in 177 seconds. Which is about, about five minutes, I think. Um, which is mad. What's even more mad is that, uh, do, you know, do you know how many other goals he scored for Egypt? One. No, those were the only goals he ever scored for oh, Egypt. Wow. 
<laughs> so he's got the record for fastest hat trick. Never scored again, um, which is quite remarkable. And of course, we haven't mentioned um, David Beckham's 91st minute equaliser against Greece that made sure um, England qualified for the World Cup top of our group in the first place. And we wouldn't have been eligible for the playoffs. So it was um, all the more all the more poignant, I guess. So that's the qualification yeah. process. Should we, should we move on to the group stages as we review the World Cup? Yeah, I'm happy to. Um, I'll just actually tell you what, I'll just point out as well, but um, talking about Aust- Australasia and... Did you know uh, Australia have qualified for every World Cup since this one? Um, no. And so is Switzerland. So they have two teams that since 2002 they've qualified for every World Cup. So it'd be interesting to see if uh, if they can continue that streak in the next few tournaments. Switzerland surprised me there. I don't... Australia doesn't because their their group is ridiculously easy. Like, yeah. I don't... Them in New Zealand... I don't know who else is much competition there, to be honest. But then, yeah, I, I, I think they like, should be moved. Yeah, there's yeah. some talk of trying to push them into the uh, uh, the Asian bracket. Um, well, they're technically, if they're good enough... China to, really don't want. If, if Australia can get into Eurovision, surely they're good enough to compete <laughs> with like the European... <laughs> yeah, I've never... I've, I've never understood that. Apparently, once they were like invited as like a guest yeah. to come in Eurovision, and they've been in it ever since. It's just, yeah, what's that about? Same, I think it's the same with Israel as well. They're not technically part of the European. Uh, yeah, well, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a bit unfair to invite Israel, not Palestine. <laughs> oh, we'll save that for a Eurovision podcast. Yeah, coming soon. <laughs> on the, on the, on the uh, sports social network, they'll love that, won't they? <laughs> uh, we can pitch it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Jake, if you're listening. Um, yes, so let's get on to uh, the groups before we get in trouble. Um, yeah, do you, want to, do you want to kick us off with Group A? Yeah, of course. So, um, I probably just say that the, the groups were sort of split uh, four stationed in Korea, four stationed in Japan. So the first four groups, obviously, are for Korean groups. So Group A was a pretty tasty group, really. It had France, Senegal, Uruguay, and Denmark. So there's two former winners in there, in Uruguay and France. And um, the first game uh, kicked us off, and it was complete shock straight away. France uh, lose 1-0 to uh, Senegal. Um, from there, Denmark beat Uruguay 2-1. France then have a second go, this time draw nil nil with Uruguay, so, and Denmark draw one one with Senegal. Then in the third outing, uh, Denmark beat France two nil, meaning France are knocked out with the worst record of any defending champion in World Cup uh, history. Uh, and then the last game is just an absolute thriller. Senegal go three nil up, and Uruguay bring it back to three three, but can't managed to get that fourth goal and yeah, get get knocked out because of it. But um, I think, obviously, the big talking point of Group A is obviously just how France just failed to uh, repeat the magic of 98 or, or even of the Euros. Um, there are a few sort of big reasons why that might be. So did you know that they land in South Korea and they decide to have a friendly against South Korea before no. the tournament? So they have this friendly against South Korea 
and Zidane comes off with an injury mm-hmm. and uh, they x-ray him and find out that he's going to be out for the first two games because he pulls something in his hamstring. So he's not there in the first two games. And then in their second game, Henri gets sent off. So he's not there in the third game by the time Zidane does come back. So you could say they were unlucky with having sort of players out, but still, you know, they fail to score a single goal. It's just absolute madness. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it was a massive shock at the time, France going out. I remember that being a big story at the time. And how quickly people fell in love for Senegal as well, because they had a, such a talented side. I oh, mean, yeah. I mean, apart from El Hadji, everyone kind of um, <laughs> fell in love fell in love with that side. And they played very attacking football. They played a bit like how Leeds played today, I guess. They kind of just mm. attacked, 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 and they weren't submissive, is what you kind of expect from smaller yeah. nations. Um, I mean, they, who... they, man- they managed to have uh, Papa Boob Diop score like three or four goals. What You know, he's a very de- defensive player in the rest of his career. But uh, obviously, in this system, even he was a goal scorer. It was such a... Um, I tried to watch like the FIFA... Uh, 2002 World Cup film on YouTube before doing this and did it so Papa Pupidiop got Papa Pupidiop got the first goal of the tournament <laughs> and what bamboo um, <laughs> uh, so he scored the first goal of the tournament and his celebration like took off his shirt it's really weird and they like kind of started dancing around it like it was some sort of ritual like they were trying to like resurrect <laughs> the dead or something. It, was, it was so bizarre um, but yeah awesome stuff um, Denmark as well surprised me. I suppose they were a good team. Yeah. So they still had players from the '92 side that won the Euros, um, yeah. so they still had a talented squad. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad they went through. Um, and obviously, England would be playing one of the teams that qualified from this group for sure. If I'm not mistaken. Um, so Group B then. Group B contained Spain, Paraguay, South Africa, and Slovenia. So on paper, at the time, with 2002 tinted glasses on. Spain weren't the powerhouse they have been in the last decade, obviously. Sure. Um, they still had a very, very good score them to tip to do very well, but not in the comparisons as um, we, we kind of see them today. Uh, Paraguay, South Africa and Slovenia, as you mentioned, uh, it was their first tournament. So Spain would be one of only two teams in the group stages to achieve maximum points by winning all three of the games. And they kind of drew... The, um, the decent straw by having Paraguay, South Africa and Sweden in their group. Um, Paraguay and South Africa both finished on four points, but the South American team would have the superior goal difference. And uh, of course, Slovenia in their first World Cup uh, would lose all three games. Um, feel a bit sorry for Paraguay. They had a pretty talented side at the time. I think Rocky Santa Cruz was knocking about at that point. Um, South Africa as well. A bit sorry for them. They had a good side. The Benny McCarthy, Quentin Fortune, uh, Lucas Radibi. They, they had a very good squad then as well. Um, and things didn't go too well for them when they hosted the World Cup. Um, but yeah, any more in Group B for you? Yeah, I just uh, wanted to point out that obviously um, between Paraguay and South Africa, they both ended the group on four points and on a goal difference of zero. So they had to yeah. be split by goal scored. And uh, Paraguay go through because they scored six goals where South Africa scored five. It was that tight. Mm, it's mad, isn't it? I don't think, would they still do that now? Uh, I guess that's the tie-breaking rule. Um, didn't they bring they... something in in like 2010 where it was like the fair play where you've got like the team with the least yellow cards goes through? Didn't Maybe. that happen? Yeah, I mean, they're always sort of tinkering with the sort of tie-breaker tie 
rules. And like, let's go on to this. Obviously, some major changes in the uh, format as well. Oh, 100%. Um, do you want to take us through Group C? Yeah, so Group C uh, consisted of Brazil, Turkey, Costa Rica and China. Um, so Brazil were the second team to win all their games and get maximum points. Uh, Turkey actually go through on goal difference of plus two. Uh, Costa Rica were equal on points, but had a goal difference of minus one. And China in their debut and only World Cup final, uh, well, finals, uh, failed to win a single, yeah, failed to win a single game. I don't think they even score a goal, actually. No, I don't think they do. What's that? No, isn't it? Again, as you say, of a, of a country of 1.4 billion, it's a massive disappointment. And obviously, it's something they would like to see rectified. But I think the only way we'll see them in a World Cup finals anytime soon is if they're hosting. Yeah, well, they've recently pulled out all their money out of the Chinese Super League. Yeah. All, all the major players have pretty much left because they've put a massive salary cap um, on, on all the clubs. Sure. I still think we will see in our lifetime China host for World Cup just because for the, the money they have and the infrastructure's there. They have like massive stadiums all around. You can see definitely see like they've got two big stadiums in Shanghai. They have two in Beijing and then talking about minor cities as well where they've definitely got the infrastructure to hold one. Yeah, so sorry, also in that group to point out. Um, so yeah, China finished bottom three defeats. Did you know who they are managed by? Oh, I looked this up earlier. It's um, Sophie's. Oh, what's his name? Uh, go on, tell me. Um, it's a Serbian chap called Bora yes. Milinusevic. Um, yes. He would become the first manager to manage five consecutive teams at five different consecutive World Cups, having managed Costa Rica, the USA, Mexico, Nigeria previously. Um, also in this group is the famous Costa Rica Brazil game. Uh, where Brazil beat Costa Rica 5-2, but more famous for uh, Rivaldo getting hit in the knee and then oh, clutching yes. it, and then clutching his face um, oh. to get one of the players sent off, and uh, they drummed that game, absolutely drummed that yeah. game. And that that is one of the kind of iconic World Cup moments. It's always oh, one of those sure. compilation shows, isn't it? Um, which is it's so ridiculous. But he did have one of the tournaments of his life, Rivaldo. He had such a good yeah. That kind of uh, taints his, his uh, legacy, I guess, to some degree. Um, on to Group D then. So Group D um, was a bit spicy, contained fellow hosts, South Korea, um, the United States of America, Portugal and Poland. And perhaps the surprise group of the tournament as the uh, host nation, South Korea, finished top with seven points. I don't think anyone was expecting that. I think Portugal and Poland were favourites to go through. Uh, the USA had a, also a very impressive tournament as well. They beat Portugal and um, drew with Korea to earn second spot with Korea and the US going through. Um, despite Portugal had a, they beat Poland 4 0, who were the other favourites, and Poland beat the USA 3 1. But yeah, were both, like, both eliminated on three points apiece. Um, so, yeah, a very interesting group there, I thought. Yeah, it was a very tight group as well because obviously. US go through on four points. But um yeah, like I say it was a quite a surprising group for the two teams that you'd sort of expect not to go through to go through. And uh set off obviously the uh the nearly Cinderella story of South Korea. 
Mm, which we'll continue to go on to then. Go on then, Group E. Okay, so obviously at this point, we're moving over to Japan. And uh, Group E consisted of Germany, Saudi Arabia, Republic of Ireland and Cameroon. The biggest uh, thing to point out here is that in the opening games of this group, Germany smashed Saudi Arabia 8-0. <laughs> There's just no other way to really put that. Um, Ireland actually put up a hell of a representation. They they drew one all with Germany in the uh, second uh, lot of games. But, uh, it was in the 92nd minute. Do you remember who scored it? The equaliser for them? Damien Duff. It's Robbie Keane. Of oh, of course. course it is, yeah. Pops up in the 92nd minute and, uh, yeah, gets that for them. But, yeah, so Germany go through on seven points quite easily and uh, Republic of Ireland come through on five points. Um, I suppose the only other thing to point out is that Cameroon only managed to beat Saudi Arabia 1-0. That was probably the uh, di- biggest decent, disappointment for them. A decent Cameroon side as well. They like some yeah. Mato and some... Is it Rigobert Song? Is he Cameroon? No, I can't remember. Um, the one thing you're missing is a very, very famous incident which happened. Yep. With the Irish team. Can you remember? Come on, man. Uh, there was a massive training ground bust up before they played the game. Oh, of course. And uh, Mick McCarthy sent captain Roy Keane home. Yes. Mass- that was a massive story in the UK and Ireland, obviously. Um, Ended his- well, obviously, I may or may not have lived in Ireland. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, they still they still talk about it to this day. Um, Roy Keane's an absolute hero. And uh, there was like, you know, he got sent home and it was like, Famous pictures of him walking his dog in Cork. Yeah. Um, legendary, absolutely. It sums up the man so well. Group F. Oh, so Group that, F. That F stands for fucking hell. Um, <laughs> so every tournament, whether it's the Euros, the Cup of America or whatever, there's a group of death. And yeah. England just happened to be drawn in the group of death with Sweden, Nigeria... And the top seeded tournament, uh, the top seeded uh, side going into this tournament, Argentina. Um, they absolutely smashed their qualification process. They were like 12 points clear or something stupid in their qualification yeah, process ridiculous. in South America. But they were the top seeded team coming into the tournament. And to everyone's surprise, they didn't you know, qualify. They didn't get out of the group. It'd be England and Sweden that go through. Um, but yes, every tournament has a group of death. And unfortunately for England, this was it. Sweden and England. Would both finish on five points, which is you know, with most teams finishing on the average of around seven points, I believe. Um, you know, it's relatively, I don't know, in a group of death, maybe maybe that's what you expect, but hmm. you're kind of bricking it a little bit on five points. You don't know if you're going to get there, and kind of ironic that in Sven's first ever game in charge of England at major tournament, he'd be heading off against a decent Sweden side as well. Sweden would take the top spot on a goal difference. David Beckham would help England beat Argentina 1-0 and he would get revenge for what happened at the 1998 World Cup where he was sent off. And of course, the top-seeded Argentina side who dominated qualifying were eliminated with four points along with uh, Nigeria who also finished bottom. I think we just need to sort of talk about obviously Beckham scoring that penalty against Argentina. Must be what maybe with alongside the uh, free kick against Greece, maybe one of the most iconic Beckham moments. Yeah, absolutely. Revenge. You could see the relief come off his face. Yeah. 
because it was against Argentina as well. If it was against Nigeria, I don't think he would have like celebrated as much. He wouldn't have like started doing that thing with his shirt. Um, but you could see the years of torment and kind of dread come right back off him. And like, yeah. I suppose the whole, the whole, you know, the English supporters who were on his back instantly got off his back. Um, sure. And it's, it's, I think a weird, I think today Diff Beckham's kind of looked at as a business and as a model and an icon as a celebrity, not as a footballer, but he was a very, very talented man. Just reminded me, did you know who, do you, who do you know who's managing Argentina? No. Current Leeds manager, Marcelo Bielsa. Ah, of course it was, yeah. Uh, yeah, another, another string to his bow. And there was a bit of um, a bit of a bust up in the Argentina camp as well. There always seems to be a bust up in the Argentina camp. If you go back to the 2014 <laughs> World Cup in the final, apparently, and there was arguments. And before that, when Maradona was in charge of them, I think in 2010, there was bust ups there and disagreements. Um, but in 2002, um, a lot of people were annoyed that they started Gabriel Batistuta over Bernard Crespo. Um, okay. Crespo was in like the form of his life at club level, and Batistuta was kind of on his way out. And they reckon if they started Crespo, they would have won against England and uh, yeah, the rest of us. But there we go. Um, group G then. Come on in. Yeah, so Group G, uh, Italy, Ecuador, Croatia and Mexico. So um, Mexico top of the group with seven points. And uh, Italy's just scraped through on four points. So I think the big thing to point out here is that uh, Italy lost 2-1 to Croatia, who obviously as the decade go on, become solid side. But at this point, we're not considered much of a threat. Um, you say that, but in the 98 World Cup, they got to the semi-finals. Yeah, but... Double oh, for sure. Sticker. But in, in sort of like, in the research, everyone, everyone was expecting Italy to sort of... Oh, yeah, uh, of course. Walk this against Croatia. But Croatia always got that sort of... They're never as good... They're always better than what people think they are. Like, no matter how good we know they are, people always presume them not to be that great. And that was definitely what was going on here. Um, yeah, with Mexico, obviously, they also drew 1-1 with Italy. Uh, well, again, Italy would have gone in as quite strong favourites. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was just... Uh, Ecuador just uh, weren't quite weren't quite good enough this time around. Obviously they've had, they had previous tournaments where they sort of surprised some people. Um, obviously so would Croatia. Uh, so in some ways you could look at this group and say, actually with, like, with, with hindsight, this group in itself is almost the second sort of group of death in some ways. Yeah, absolutely. I was just going to say that I think when you look at it on paper and you think of those teams and they're kind of historic caliber on the international scene, you kind of think that that is also a very dangerous group. I suppose, if England were in that group and you replaced them with Ecuador, it's, it's, it's troublesome. You can't guarantee you're going to win those games. The only, thing, the only thing I would add is that I think this might, might make me unpopular considering what happened at the 2018 World Cup, but Croatia probably have the best shirts of any team in oh. history. Yeah, always. Like, I mean, growing up, at all, every tournament, I couldn't wait to see what Croatia was coming out in. They just look like a, like a water polo team. Like it's, um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's bizarre. Uh, Group H then consisted of uh, fellow fellow hosts, Japan, Belgium, Russia, and Tunisia. Not the Belgian we know today. We know enough today. It was a kind of ragtag bunch 
of people, but I suppose it'd still be relative favourites to get through. Uh, and I suppose another surprise as well, where Japan qualified top with seven points and Belgium would join them in the round of 16 with five points, while Russia and Tunisia bowed out. Uh, not probably the least interesting group of all of them, um, I think, from memory. But maybe I might be outspoken, but I think Japan, ever since they've hosted or joint hosted, they've always been a very entertaining team and they've always qualified yeah. for the World Cup since. I don't know if this is right or wrong, but I think this might have been the tournament that kind of turned football into a mate, one of, into becoming a major sport in Japan because you kind of for associated sure. it with wrestling, sumo wrestling, and um, they, they like their baseball and stuff yeah. as well, don't they? So, and cycling. So, yeah, I think this might have been the, the catalyst that uh, made them such warriors on the pitch kind of thing. Fair enough. On to the knockout stages then. And um, obviously quite a, a few games to go through. So Germany would face up against Paraguay on the uh, the first game of the uh, knockout stages, the round of 16. One thing I always like about the knockout stages is that one of the games is always on my birthday. So it's great to have a birthday in June uh, in terms of uh, World Cups and uh, European Championships. There's always a decent game on. So yeah, Germany versus Paraguay, the first one. Not a cutthroat, a tight, not as cutthroat as you may think. I mean, you may think Germany had a great score back then. Obviously, made it to the final. They must have dicked Paraguay five, six, eight nil. No, it was only a one nil affair, and that came in the 88th minute from uh, a bit time striker and the possible Robbie Savage Hall of Fame future Hall of Famer uh, Oliver Newville. Um, and that one nil victory was enough to see them through. Um, in fact, they would win each match 1-0 all the way up to the final. Um, yeah. So they were efficient in their German, Germans, which I suppose <laughs> um, you would expect. Harry, wonder, talk to me. Go on. Sorry, I, just, I wonder if... Because um, they got a lot of stick after beating Saudi Arabia 8-0. Of like, they, you know, they didn't have to do that. They could have stopped. So I wonder if there was a little bit of a mental thing of, oh, maybe we shouldn't be... Uh, Scoring too many goals. Fast forward to uh, 2014 against yeah. Brazil. Yeah, and they, they repeat it all over again. I have, I, I have such a good memory of that game. Next up, Denmark versus England, Harry. What, what happened in this game? All right. So, it was a... For for England, who'd, you know, sort of looked okay, but not great during the uh, uh, group stage. This was how... We started to believe maybe, like we do every year, every time, maybe football is coming home because we go and beating we go and beat Denmark three 0 and uh, it was a pretty solid performance uh, uh, from England. So that, that belief starts rising up, and you know, as you know, we uh, from there we have to go and face Brazil in the uh, quarterfinals. Absolutely, and you've got to remember Denmark finished top of their group as well. So yeah. To beat them three 0 was actually a decent accomplishment, considering they they had a pretty good side back then as well. Um, yeah, for sure. Rio Ferdinand scored the first goal. Michael Owen got one, and so did none other than Emil Heskey. And yeah. there's, there's there's a debate of whether Heskey was a good player or not during this time. And for me, there's no questions. He was he was a different kind of striker, but he was still a good player, and he was worthy of a spot in that England team, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, moving on to Sweden, Senegal. Sweden, obviously, top of group. Senegal uh, made it through by the skin of their teeth. And we're kind of the underdogs and the unsung heroes. But many people, I think particularly in England, because there's a rivalry of England and France, 
many people in England have had an affiliation with Senegal for knocking out our French neighbours. Um, so I think many people backed Senegal to, uh, well, backed them to beat, or wanted them to beat Sweden. So a talented Sweden side met the underdog heroes of Senegal. An early goal from Henrik Larsson was cancelled out by Henri Camara in the 37th minutes, which took the game to extra time, where Henri Camara would once more score in the 104th minute. And as discussed earlier, this tournament was the last tournament in which the golden goal was in effect. So that second goal from Henri Camara would mean... Senegal would progress to the quarterfinals, okay. uh, which I believe might have been the first time for an African side. Might be wrong there, but um, absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. Yeah. And Henri Camara is one of those players that uh, just shouts naughties to me as well. I mean, it's just the memories of Camara, yeah. But as you say, like Sweden, obviously coming out of a group of death, topping it, looking looking quite strong. I think it was, even though like everyone wanted Senegal to win and everyone believes they could, I think it still was a bit of a bit of an upset, really. Mm. Mm. I think they were getting slaughtered, like in terms of shots on goal. You think that Sweden side had Ibrahimovic, had Larsen, Toivonen, Svensson, um, Seb Larsen as well, Melberg at the back, Isaacson in goal. That was it, you know, it was it Freddie Lundberg. You know, a fantastic yeah. Sweden squad, squad and sure. um, that, that Senegal defence would have got battered. Um, but yeah, fair play, they held on and got the minute just before the uh, well, just before the, the half time we saw an extra time. Incredible. Um, Spain against Ireland, then yeah. So, a bit of a I remember this quite uh fondly because, um, as I alluded to last week, my, my uh, my granddad's Irish, and uh, even though he's from Northern Ireland, during the World Cup, like. Obviously, Northern Ireland don't get there very often. And obviously, there's been a few times where Northern Ireland played really well against Spain. So it's just this idea that whenever any Irish team come up against Spain, you know, something might might happen. And uh, I remember sitting down watching it and obviously uh, Spain take that early lead and it sort of looks the whole way through like Spain are, you know, just going to win on this 1-0, if not, you know, score again. But none other than, of course, Robbie Keane in the 90th minute gets a penalty and makes it one all, and all of a sudden it's such a exciting game, and uh, it goes to penalties, obviously, and um, very unlucky. Not Ireland get knocked out three two on penalties, but we were so close to seeing another Irish team upset Spain, but this time like on the biggest stage possible. But uh, unfortunately, it just couldn't happen. Mm, mm. Yes, sir. Spain won three two on penalties. So out of the ten, t- out of the ten penalties that were taken. Five of them were missed, which is quite a weird start, yeah. I guess. That's, that's mad. They didn't have the balls. They didn't have the balls. Um, so on to Mexico against the USA. You know, you, it's a, somewhat of a derby, I guess. Um, yeah. Mexico were heavy, heavy favourites, having sure. topped their group. But a U, the USA had a very young and talented squad. They had the likes of Brian McBride and a young Landon Donovan, um, who both of them scored to surpass the Mexicans, to many people's surprise. Um, a great talented squad there as well. They had Demarcus Beasley as well, if you remember him. Oh. And uh, of course, Brad Frieda win goal. I think he saved two penalties in one game in, in this tournament as well, which was a first, um, which was a first for a, for a goalkeeper. Um, but yeah, two great sides there as well. Uh, Rafael Marquez, who was the captain of Mexico, uh, this will be his first World Cup in 2002, and he would go on to play every single World Cup up, up until 2018. And um, I think he's got the record with Lofa Mateus. 
uh, for appearing at five back-to-back World Cups. Madness. I don't know uh, what your memories of it are, but I seem to remember watching it. And obviously, growing up in England, you, especially at this time, you, you think, uh, you know, you, the US just aren't a footballing nation. You don't expect anything from them. But I remember Mexico seeming hesitant and almost like too, I don't know if they were being too respectful or they just didn't want to. They, they were so worried about losing to their neighbours who they knew were probably, you know, considered worse than them. Like, I just remember them, look, after after having that amazing run in their, like, uh, group, I just seemed to think they looked so hesitant every time they were on the ball. Yeah, it was a really talented, it's a shame, really, because it was a really talented Mexican side as they had uh, Marquez. Remember Omar Bravo? Yeah. Um, whoever, he only ever played in Mexico, but he was kind of a fan favourite because he always appeared yeah. at World Cups. Um, sure. Jar- Jared Borghetti. Um, it's another striker. He played for Bolton Wanderers at some point during the noughties as well. He was like a Mexican hero. He was one. He was look up on YouTube Jared Borghetti header, and he scores this header where he's like running across the the eighteen yard box. But as he's running, he does like a three sixty jump like a basketball player doing an alley oop, and he does that as his head connects to the ball, and the ball goes in the opposite corner. It's the best header I've ever seen scored in my life. Um, and they had uh, Clown Bontino. Blanco playing in their squad as well, who's a Mexican legend. I think he's now like a politician, but he invented the ball hop. I don't know if you remember him. He invented the ball hop where you clutch the ball between your two feet and jump up a bit. Yeah. He used to do that to for two different players. So they, they had like a few different legends for that Mexican side. And it was a big shock that they went out, especially to the USA. Now, I was listening, obviously, to a few podcasts that I listened to about football, about the USA um, buying all these Premier League teams and then trying to create the Super League and trying try to make it more franchised. And they put it down to the 1994 World Cup um, because the 1994 World Cup was hosted by... USA. The USA, uh, which is when, you know, before that, the American Football Association, as it was then, before the MLS was formed, they didn't really have an interest, as Harry was saying, in football whatsoever. So when they were awarded the World Cup, and rightly so, they should have been awarded it because they've got all the facilities and it's a fantastic country. But that reignited what we now know as the MLS and it's becoming ever yeah. more popular. And it, it was the it was the starting of this growth of this empire that was building in world football and why all these American owners have now got invested in football and over the last 20 odd years. Moving on, Brazil against Belgium. So Brazil had a favourable draw here. It was not a talented Belgium squad. And it's a rather forgettable Belgium side and a rather forgettable game. They put up a good fight, but were cancelled out by ultimately another goal from Rivaldo and another goal from uh, who would end up being a top goal scorer, of course. It was Ronaldo. Um, Ronaldo had, was, he wasn't, Brazil, you've got to remember at this time, Brazil weren't favoured in this tournament because they had a lot of injuries prior to the tournament, especially Ronaldo, who was coming back from nearly spending a year and a half out of the game from that horrific knee injury. Um, and he was never the same player. He, he would always score goals, but he was never the same player. Um, after that, he lost his pace, and which is why we never saw Ronaldo in the noughties as we did in the 90s in terms of bursting runs. Um, but yeah, he would end up being top goal scorer. Um, Japan against Turkey quickly as yeah. well. 
Um, so the first of the host nations to play uh, was Japan, who were unlucky to be defeated by Turkey, who were in the finals for the first time in 50 years. Um, a 12-minute goal from Umat Davala was enough to hold on to, and Turkey would go through, but many plaudits to Japan for doing so well and getting through to a stage that no one thought they would. But um, Turkey as well, I suppose, were quite unfavoured uh, coming into that as well. Both of them qualified and got to the round of 16. Now, should we get on to what is probably the most famous game, not in World Cup history, but certainly of the tournament. And it's yeah. always talked about, even to this day in Premier League football, it's always talked about because it's synonymous with referee decisions, VAR, and ultimately the shape of football as it is today. It is, of course, the round of 16 game between the plucky underdogs of South Korea, who are ranked 40th in the world, to who were three-time winners at the time, Italy, who were ranked sixth coming into the tournament. So, Harry, take us through what um, you remember of this game. Yeah, so, obviously, uh, just, just to start, obviously, if it ends, ends up being 2-1 uh, to South Korea, again, in, in extra time, again, it's that golden goal. But, um, obviously, that's just really the beginning of this story because... Uh, ever since then, we've had accusations of uh, favoritism or match fixing or, or, or just poor refereeing. Uh, the Italians to this day will, will insist that uh, it was stolen from them. Um, I think even Sepp Blatter at one point condemned the officials. Uh, I, I don't think, personally, I, I, oh, I, I hope not, maybe, but I don't think there is a any sort of favoritism or match fixing here going on. I do think there were some poor decisions made in various games and involving South Korea, but I don't think that there were uh, anything nefarious. Mm. Um, obviously in this game in particular, we're talking about the red card and uh, whether that should have or shouldn't have been. Um, oh, I just find it a very, very weird subject because obviously I, d- I don't know how much I remember of the time or how much it is I've been influenced of what I've seen since. For sure, um, for sure. Yeah, I thought, let me tell you through what, I've, what I kind of um, researched and kind of can put this image into uh, the minds of our listeners to see if what they can remember and whether this ends up. So on paper, this straw was only going to go one way and it was quickly backed up by an early goal from Christian Vieri. The referee, Byron Moreno, who was an Ecuadorian official, made several high-profile, what seemed like biased decisions towards South Korea, including a penalty to Korea in the first half, but luckily this was saved by uh, masterful goalkeeper Jean-Luigi Buffon. And then Seol ki Hyun uh, equalised in the 88th minute, taking the game into extra time. But more referee decisions were made as Byron Moreno disallowed would have been a golden goal for Italy um, for an apparent offside, but it wasn't offside at all. Uh, Christian Bieri was played onside by, by quite some distance. Um, he would then send off uh, Francesco Totti for diving, despite being 40 yards away from play. So how on earth would he know? Looking like it was heading to penalties, it would be An Jun Juan, uh, who had scored the golden goal in the 117th minute progressing career to the quarterfinals for the first time. 
back in Italy, there were riots in the streets. Allegedly, hitmen were contracted to hunt down the referee Byron Moreno, and uh, he would retire from refereeing in 2003. Do you know what happened to him since? Uh, I don't, actually. In 2010, and this might make your mind up on whether he was a a, a con man or a, or, or a, or a um, he might have been given a bung for refereeing. In 2010, he was caught smuggling heroin into JFA Airport in New York and spent three years in prison. Crazy. Yeah. So maybe there was something Maybe, there. yeah. But he was I mean, a referee. He was a FIFA referee. Yeah. He was a referee before that. He refereed other games in the tournament. Um, I think it's so hard being a ref as well. Like, you also, you know, Italians accusing people of match fixing is you know, <laughs> pot and kale, isn't it? But um, I, I, like, I feel like if if we were talking about North Korea, if we were talking about, um, you know various other states around the world, uh, then I might be more likely to believe it. But... I think it's, it's one of the greatest conspiracies of all time, isn't it? It's up there with um, yeah. who shot JFK and you know, was, <laughs> was, was 9-11 an inside job, Area 51, um, South Korea, Italy, 2002. It's kind of, it all kind of fits in the small package. Where it falls down a little bit is that Italy, South Korea, Ecuadorian referee. If you were to draw a triangle mm. between those three countries, you couldn't get further apart. No. Um, however, you know, he does get caught smuggling heroin. So yeah. he's obviously prone then, to a bit of money making. Yeah. Um, it's that because like he was forced to retire from refereeing and he needs to make money somehow. Who knows? Yeah, it just feed, it feeds the enigma. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it, there's got to be. A, I'd love to like there'd be like a comedy movie made on Byron Moreno. He's just <laughs> I, I can see him being played by like Will Ferrell. He's a good man. He's just trying to do an honest day's work. He loves football. Get, was it? He got. He gets injured as a kid. Um, he, you know, so he can't make it as a player, but he makes it as a referee. He makes it as the best referee in Ecuador. He gets shipped off to the World Cup. He's you know his family are really proud of him. Um, I don't know. He has like an upset stomach in the morning of the game, and then it kind of crowds his ju- you know, clouds his judgment, and then um, yeah, ends of him ten years later smuggling heroin through uh, New York. <laughs> That's the film I paid to watch. Uh, don't think FIFA would give you the rights to use him. But, uh, but yeah, <laughs> I swear I've had that referee on some of my FIFA twenty one experiences. <laughs> some of the scripting going on there, Jesus. Um. But it's probably it's probably important to say that this game kind of changed the shape of football in many ways. You know, it, it led to the elimination of the golden goal, yeah. first and foremost. Um, Italy were outraged. You know, Italians still speak about this game to this day. Obviously, they would win it uh, four years later, so some justice, um, I guess. Um, and yes, yeah, so I suppose it kind of led to VAR in a weird kind mm. of way, and kind of FIFA wanting to improve refereeing um, as such. Did you know this was Paolo Maldini's uh, last game for Italy? I didn't realise that, no. His last game for Italy, and he has a FIFA World Cup record. He's played the most minutes of any player ever. He's played 2,217 minutes, and that is yet to be beaten. Amazing. So if they didn't go into extra time, he wouldn't have got that record. Well, he might... (laughs) Thank you! Yeah, thank you, Byron Moreno. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if they went through, you would, have, you know, the record would be longer, wouldn't it? True. Oh, maybe. 
if he played. Yeah. Oh, shut up. Ollie, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. Okay, fair enough. Right, let's move on quickly. Uh, England, Brazil, the quarterfinal, the first quarterfinal. Big one. The, the big game for us as England fans. Um, I suppose the big game to use Brazil fans as well. If you're Brazilian and listening to this, there's no reason why uh, we can't count you as equals. Um, so the opener for the quarterfinals was arguably the most famous game from an English perspective as we took on the team from Brazil. Though it can be argued that England were the better team over 90 minutes, Michael Owen would score the opener and Rivaldo would equalise on the half-time whistle. Five minutes into the second half, the infamous Ronaldinho free kick lobbed David Seaman. Ronaldinho, many people forget, will be sent off seven minutes later. Without doubt, England should have capitalised on the 10 men of Brazil. And that's the thing that annoys me. It doesn't, everyone, rem- like this, this gets replayed over and over again whenever there's an international game coming up or, or international competition. It's always like a video on Sky One of like, England's worst at the moment in football, mm. and it's always you know somewhere in the middle was David Seaman taking a step to the step like to the left and him being lobs. But what's more embarrassing is them going down to ten men, us being a better team and not being able to capitalise and bring it bring it on Darius Fussell. That's worse than the team and lobs. <laughs> just just for bringing on Darius Fussell himself. I mean. <sighs> What, what what can we say that's never that's not been said before? But um, yeah, to me this is obviously maybe the biggest memory I have is like sat at school, you know, in a room crowded with other kids. Obviously, Owen schools were one nil up for you know a considerable amount of time, and the belief is there, like oh, we're going to the semis, like you just and obviously Rivaldo scores and, and a part of you like goes he shouldn't even be allowed to play he, he was pretending he uh, yeah shot the other week what's he doing on the pitch and then obviously you know maybe one of the, the most talented players of all time in Ronaldinho uh, takes a free kick only as he can like, we can talk about Beckham style being incredible and his free kick taking being incredible but Ronaldinho obviously completely different style and you know, Beckham's not going to try and lob a keeper in, in a World Cup quarterfinal in a free kick. It's in, in European players, you know, have been taught not to do that sort of stuff. South Americans, no, they're going to go for that. And obviously, Ronaldinho does it. Makes and don't be wrong, Seaman was a great keeper, and he makes Seaman look like an absolute amateur. <laughs> and uh, doesn't help you the ponytail. No, no, but um, yeah, I mean, it's just. At least they went on to win. This, this from England point of view. Yes, I guess so. I think I was at school as well. This is the game I remember the most because yeah, same as you, Breakfast Club. Everyone gets in early, watches the game. I'm pretty sure the teacher was so depressed that we didn't do any work for the rest of the day. I'm pretty <laughs> sure. I'm pretty sure that happened. Um, what I found weird is that Brazil were playing in blue. Even as a kid, I was like, well, why are yeah. they wearing yellow? Um, I found that weird. I couldn't work out if Ronaldinho's free kick was a cross or he meant it. But with the amount of dip on it, it kind of, I suppose he did probably mean yeah. that kind of trajectory. Um, if it was any other player, I might think maybe he didn't. But because it's Ronaldinho, yeah. I just you know believe he did. 
Yeah, I felt a tremendous sense of unjust. Yeah. Um, because they were down, we had 35 minutes of playing against 10 men. And we should have at least got another goal. That's just typical been... England, though, isn't it? Yeah, we've, it's not the first time we've done that. Maybe the last, yes. Like any yeah. other team, you'd, you'd back taking advantage of a 10 men team. But for England, so you're like. Oh. I suppose you're right in a way. We can take solace from the fact they won the tournament and they probably were the better team and they had a, they had a very good defence and a very good goalkeeper. So, um, yeah. Moving on, Germany against the USA, the Allies against the Nazi, <laughs> other ones. Um, <laughs> oh man! So, though though Germany were the favourites, you couldn't underestimate the USA, who had made it to the quarterfinals for the first time and had outdone themselves with a very talented squad. Um, a lone goal, once again, from Michael Balak would it be enough for Germany to progress to the semi-finals. But did you know the USA remember this final, uh, remember this quarterfinal just as badly as we do? Do you know okay. why? Why? Why is that? So Torsten Frings handled the ball on the line to deny US, the USA an equaliser mm. in Thierry Henry's circumstances against Ireland. Yeah. He handled the ball on the line and it was a proper yeah. like save. And um, yeah, yeah the, the, the USA were just as dis- disgruntled as England fans were. Um, about not progressing or at least getting a draw to make it to uh, extra time. Um, so, yeah, Germany got their own back. There <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it's not... Apart from, like, obviously the goal and, and, and the uh, sort of handball, it's not matters to say about uh, the time. No, the actual game itself was pretty insubstantial, but... Um, Michael Ballack, young Michael Ballack doing really well. Oliver Kahn, Oliver Kahn making fantastic oh. saves. Oliver um, Kahn. This was, the, this, this was the tournament of, of his life, as we'll get on to. Yeah. Um, Spain against South Korea. Now, fool me once, shame on you. <laughs> <laughs> fool me twice, shame on me. But could South Korea fool me three times? Well, Spain had been the dominant throughout the tournament so far, as Harry said earlier. Um, they're you know, one of the only teams to win all three of their group games, despite not being the Spain team we know today. And uh, Korea had undone themselves by undone themselves by fluking their way past Italy in the round of 16 um, as plucky underdogs and as hosts. Many thought, because the referee decisions in the round of 16 were so dodgy, many people thought Korea got no chance against Spain. You know, they were lucky against Italy. Yeah. This is where it ends. And it would be good. You know, even if Korea did end their route in the quarterfinals, it still would have been a good tournament for them. But they were triumphant. They dragged out a nil-nil draw, taking the game to penalties with just true grit and determination. So, they, obviously, a lot of people thought they were lucky and gave them a lot of um, stick for getting through against Italy, but they deserved it against Spain. They were putting their lives on the line. They were... Mm. They were well, okay, Harry might disagree with me, but this is what I, <laughs> this is, this is what I remember. It will be the legend um, winger uh, Joaquin, who still plays for Real Betis, um, would miss for Spain in penalties and the talented career side um, proved they were there on merits, at least in my memory. Yeah, well, I, I think, like, 
I said earlier, I, I don't like to believe anything nefarious. And I think uh, the Korean team played wonderfully throughout the tournament and it, most of the time played excitingly. And, you know, you've you got to remember that they're managed by uh, Gus Edink. So they definitely knew how to play football and definitely knew how to play cup football. Um, but this game isn't without its own controversies with uh, Spain having, I think, two goals disallowed. I think so, yeah. And, they, uh, at least one disallowed. Yeah, and obviously the Spanish reacted very much in the same way that um, the Italians did and weren't very happy with it and accused uh, the Egyptian referee of favouring the home nation. But I think there's a lot to be said for when, when you are the home nation uh, of wanting to prove yourselves of having confidence of having knowing a lot of people in that stadium is there to see you. So yeah. And if you score all five of your penalties, I mean, you know, that in itself is wonderful. Um, but yeah, I, I can see the same people who think that Korea shouldn't have beat Portugal. Korea shouldn't have beat Italy. You know, would argue that they shouldn't have beat Spain and it was all down to refereeing. But uh, yeah, I'm not, I just still, I just, can't quite believe you know that openly in a world cup rest from all around the world would be uh helping out south korea i think that does the, the squad and the manager just it's just injustice for them definitely rather than i guess they didn't get a record of going to a lot of smaller teams of world cups didn't he yeah he's definitely managed sure. to, he's probably managed around five teams as well and the I last quarter final so. the last quarter final was probably the most even affair in terms of teams on, on paper, because Senegal, plucky underdogs, Turkey, first tournament in 50 years. It was, a, it was a clash of titans and perhaps the most evenly matched game of the tournament. As everyone's second favourite team, Senegal, was squared up against fellow underdogs, Turkey. A strictly even affair, as it was nil-nil after 90 minutes, and would take the last ever World Cup golden goal from Ilhan Malziz from Turkey to send them through to their first ever World Cup semi-final. Um, so that was the last ever golden goal in, in World Cup history. Um, and the man who scored it, Ilhan Manziz, is now a competitive figure skater. Wow, I didn't know go. that. There we go. So uh, you can dream, you can dream. You can always be, you know, if football doesn't work out for you, join the Winter Olympics. It's all good. Um, but yeah, that, that's Senegal against Turkey. Shall we get on to the semi-finals then? Yeah, we're going we're to have a lot to say on the um, on the final uh, with two heavy hitters of the international football world of football and two underdog teams. Could it be the first time that either Korea or Turkey make it to a World Cup final? Well, Germany would square up against host nation of South Korea, and once again, Germany would win a third successful game, one nil. Thanks once again to Michael. Back. Uh, this also made Germany, uh, it gave Germany the most clean sheets of the tournament and gave Oliver Kahn um, the most clean sheets as goalkeeper, getting the golden glove as a uh, recipient of this match. Um, and the other semi final was, of course, Brazil against Turkey, somewhat of a foregone conclusion as Brazil won their sixth successive game, uh, thanks once more to the enigmatic, not just simply one of the best players of all time, Ronaldo who was looking like he'd end up as top goal scorer at this point. Um, Turkey battled well and had chances, but lacked a clinical finish. 
And um, yeah, Brazil were the only team still to this day to not make it to the finals. Uh, the only team who hasn't not qualified for a tournament and uh, made it all the way to the final by winning seven consecutive games. And still the first ever team to do that as well. Uh, but your, your memories to the semi-finals? Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, Germany and Korea was, you know, I think now Senegal out, Korea firmly made himself a fan favourites of everyone else. Um, so obviously everyone's hoping, maybe not the Italians and the Spanish and the Portuguese, but everyone else were hoping South Korea uh, w- would beat Germany. And I mean, you know, as as, as English f- fans, you know, we have our little rival with Germany as well. So we're sort of hoping for it. So I remember watching it and uh, yeah, like, not, not disappointed because again, they played really well, but um, you know, it was a little bit upsetting not to see the, uh, the, the home nation get through to the final. But uh, yeah, as you say, Balak, you know, started, you know, but Balak had maybe what a great tournament for young Balak and they say tournament of his life for Oliver Kahn. Um, but Balak, uh, picked up a yellow card in this and in the quarter, so he actually misses the final, doesn't it? What yeah. sort of is a reoccurring theme in Balak's um, career? Like with Chelsea at one point, a similar thing happens, doesn't it? And um, but yeah, I mean Turkey Brazil, everyone, that one was a bit of a, um, a full conclusion in, for most people. But the fact it ended just one nil, I think, was a bit of a bit of a surprise. And as you say, but Ronaldo is just unbelievable in this tournament unbelievable player and if you if you're going to put money on anyone to score it was going to be Ronaldo wasn't it so yeah the fact that the fact that he scores in sort of like the 50th minute I think by that point Turkey sort of know there it's going to take something else to really fight back for sure absolutely absolutely and a quick note on the third place playoff uh, between Turkey and um, South Korea did Turkey win 3-2 is that right yeah, that's correct. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the only thing I've got to know, on note about this, I, I don't really care for third place playoffs, um, is that Hakan Sakur, uh, the Turkish striker, he scored the fastest ever goal from kickoff after 11 seconds. Um, that's the only thing I've, known, I've got for that. On to yeah. the final. Um, Brazil versus Germany, of course, the final. Um, Germany, you weren't, you had a very, very impressive team, the best defensive team on the planet against arguably the best attacking team on the planet uh, of Brazil. You know, Rivaldo, Ronaldo, Ronaldinho in your attacking lineup, uh, absolutely insane. So, would the defensive masterclass of Germany and Oliver Kahn's impressive performances be enough to deal with Brazil's firepower? Many tipped the Germans to succeed and they didn't concede many goals at all in the tournament. I think they only conceded, well, and the only goals conceded were in the final and against who is in their group, someone in their group. Um, did you know Brazil's captain Cafu would be appearing in his third consecutive final? Because he played wow. in the 1994 World Cup final, the 1998 final against France, and uh, of course, 2002 final as well. And he's still the only player to do that to this day. Um, as we all know, Brazil would end up winning the, their fifth World Cup and for the first time in a World Cup tournament, uh, they were the first team to win seven consecutive matches and win every single game. Germany would lose the World Cup final uh, for a record fourth time. So they've been to a final and lost four times, which is still a record to this day as well. Uh, the two second half goals from Ronaldo were enough to cement victory and in turn give Ronaldo the golden boot of the tournament. 
I mean, I suppose up until that sort of 67th minute, you know, it could have gone either way. And Germany fans would have really hoped it was going their way. But then, you know, by the 79th minute, it's all over, really, isn't it? But that second goal just finishes it off. Um, just, I just wanted to point out, actually, I just looked back and uh, it was Republic of Ireland were the only team to score past uh, Germany before Brazil. So I'm sure there's some Irish people that would claim that, you know, this, they won the World Cup. Yeah, so it's, 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 it's enough for Robert Keane to never pay for him but point again in his life. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, as you say, like, as an England fan at the time, obviously being knocked out by Brazil, obviously uh, Germany being a bit of a rival for us, you wanted Brazil to go and do it. So I feel like it was, it was great that they did. Uh, I was I was going to say, when you said, oh, the, the fifth World Cup, I was going to say, oh, just imagine being... Like oh we we we've won five of them like you know mm. I'd be we'd be very lucky to see England win it in our lifetime I believe but then also when you said oh, Germany have lost it four times like, I don't ever want that I don't ever want to get <laughs> to the final four times yeah then, I think you know? that's that's what Germany's I think won about. it enough times as well <laughs> I feel that way about the 2018 World Cup as well I think you know it, it, it's terrible losing in the semi final to Croatia mm. but what would be worse is losing the final to France um, yeah. For sure, I think at least like yeah. you could watch the final between France and Croatia and go go on France, battle them. Yeah. <laughs> you know you're getting tired now, Croatia. You're getting tired now. Um, but, I had money on France as well, so I was very yeah, I, um, on that I think I, I won money on Griezmann being top goal and then scoring the seven goals. Um, excellent, excellent stuff. Um, so I've I've noted down a few notable players from the tournament. Obviously, Ronaldo. Top the rankings with eight goals, which was three more than the next two people, which was uh, Rivaldo and uh, Miroslav Klose of Germany, who both scored five. All three of them had obviously fantastic performance. Uh, the golden ball for best player went towards Oliver Kahn, who also got the golden glove and the Levy Ashton Award for best goalkeeper of the tournament. He just go on YouTube, look up some of his saves. He, you know, as I said, Germany kept winning games 1 0. And the reason they had a clip clean sheet really was because of Oliver Kahn. Off. Didn't have they didn't have the most famous of famous of defenses at the time. Uh, Landon Donovan won best young player. The USA done extraordinarily well as well. Belgium won the FIFA Fair Play Award um, for doing absolutely nothing of interest. Um, <laughs> South Korea, as you might expect, won the most entertaining team award. Uh, with thanks to Ecuadorian referee Byron Moreno. Um, but there we go. Uh, the all-star team, so every, every tournament FIFA release an all-star team uh, made up of 23 players. Um, so the goalkeepers were obviously German, Oliver Kahn, and one of my favourite goalkeepers of all time, Turkish man, the Turkish Jack Sparrow, uh, Rusty Resaber. <laughs> Rusty Resaber, famous for wearing like kind of black cricket eyeliner and uh, hanging a pony himself. Fantastic keeper. He used to smoke like 20 cigarettes a day. Um, Incredible. Legend of a man. Uh, defenders, the only England player to make it in, Sol Campbell, your man. Uh, former Bolton Wanderers player, Fernando Hierro, made it in to Spain. Uh, Hyung Myung Bo, uh, fellow Turkish man, Alpe Ozalan, and of course, Roberto Carlos in the midfield, as you might expect. Michael Ballack, former Manchester City and Sunderland player, Claudio Reynan, the American. Rivaldo, Ronaldinho, and Yu Sang Chul. And the strikers were... The spitting sensation of uh, El Hajduf, uh, Miroslav Klose, uh, Ronaldo, and Turkish striker Hassan Sass. 
great team there. Great team. Great squad of players. Anyway, that is the end of our review of the 2002 World Cup as we do our more penultimate show uh, before the end of the series. But it's time now, as we done last week, to climb into our DeLorean, fill up the flux capacitor as we go back to the future. And so apt that Michael Ballack has actually featured quite a few times in this podcast already. We go back to the future. This is a relatively new feature in which we discuss a few players who very nearly joined other clubs and what might have been if they had. Now, my very first person is John Obi McHale. Did you know who he nearly joined before he joined Chelsea? Uh, Manchester United? Exactly. Uh, if you don't know at home, John Obi McHale, the Nigerian player who doesn't score any goals, had technically signed for Manchester United. He technically yeah. signed for them and had all sorts of teams battling for his signature after impressing, impressing for the Nigerian national side. Even Man United website had claimed we had signed the teenager. It would turn out Mikel had signed without legal representation and his agents had already had a pre-agreement with Chelsea. United, so sure of their new acquisition, even had a press conference with John Obi Mikel in a Man United kit. Yeah. He was even involved in a kidnapping scandal uh, when he no-showed for the Norwegian Cup competition when he was still contracted with Lynn, uh, the club he was playing for at the time before Manchester United or Chelsea. Turns out he hadn't been taken hostage. Um, he was hiding in London with his agent where Mikel said he was pressured into signing for Manchester United without legal representatives and a deal was reached where Mikel would go back to Norwegian club Lynn and Chelsea would be, would be allowed to sign him for £4 million. But um, Chelsea would have to pay £12 million to Manchester United in compensation. So Amazing. with Manchester United not really having to do much, they managed to profit £12 million. So John Abe Mikel goes down well in, in Manchester United folklore because... He was terrible whenever he played against him. And uh, <laughs> he gave us £12 million to spend on probably Cristiano Ronaldo around that time. Um, <laughs> so thanks, thanks, Obi Mikel. Yeah, you got a thumbs up in my book. Um, another Chelsea player for the next contender, Mike Wessian. Did you know he nearly signed for Burnley? Well, well I have no idea. When, when was this? In 2009, former Burnley chairman Brendan Flood uh, was one of the first people... Um, to discover SCN's talents on his kind of teenager scouting program. <laughs> that sounds like an Operation Nutri. <laughs> I'm not saying Brendan Flood was ever a paedophile. Uh, do not take this clip out of context. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, right. Me my words. Uh, he's one of the first people to discover SCN's talents. Um, but Burnley, obviously not being the richest club in the world, they had a very, very strict club policy of not paying an apprentice, which he would have been at the time, um, more than £60 a week. Therefore, the negotiations oh, wow. never took place. So, I'm sure the Burnley fans could have cobbled that together. Yeah. Oh, then again, it's in Burnley, so maybe not. Um, the last one, it might be an obvious one you might have heard of before, um, Cristiano Ronaldo nearly joined Arsenal in 2003. Mm. He was being scouted by you know a lot of many Premier League clubs. Arsenal and Manchester United were the two front runners. Uh, Cristiano would even train with Arsenal and was given a number nine shirt. 
However, he would have a better relationship with Sir Alex, who he'd been speaking to and his representatives um, for quite a long time. And Arsenal were unwilling to come up with the cash for what they deemed too expensive for a teenager. Um, but it was very much because Sporting has been playing Manchester United in pre-season friendlies and in a qualifying match of some description. So he managed to get over the line. It's time now, though, to move on to everybody's favourite part of the show as we induct two more people into the Robbie Savage Hall of Fame. If you're listening for the first time, how dare you? Um, but this this is the uh, this is the section where well we've come up actually this is a good week to mention the Hall of Fame because the Premier League this week have inducted Alan Shearer and Thierry Henry into a Hall of Fame for the first time. Um, two very good options and very very deserved and probably you know two of the top ten I I'd put into your Hall of Fame. But there's only one Hall of Fame. It's the Robbie Savage Hall of Fame. I like. They probably saw this on our Twitter feed, and they're like, "We need, we need some good, good publicity about the noughties. And they go straight in with the big guns and Thierry Henry and Alan Shearer um, against our David Ingo and Boom um, Song. <laughs> <laughs> but, but there we go. I so the Robbie, to be honest, yeah, I, I, absolutely. Um, so the, yes, if you haven't worked out already, the Robbie Savage Hall of Fame is where we interact people where we think how on earth have they got a professional contract, let alone play in the Premier League. Um, so Harry, you go first. I've been talking too much. Who right. are you inducting this week into okay. the Savage Hall of Fame? I'm inducting a uh, player by the name of Andy O'Brien. Do you remember him? Say it again. Andy O'Brien. Andy O'Brien, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so he made 443 appearances in his career, scored 12 goals. Obviously, he's a centre back, so pretty, you know, 12 goals isn't bad. Um, I go. I'll explain why I believe he should be in here as I go through it. So he's he's born in Harrogate in England, uh, but he went on to represent Republic of Ireland. Wonderful. <laughs> he played 26 games for them and includes being in the squad for the 2002 World Cup. Um, so he was actually released by Leeds at the age of 14 and he joined Bradford City. Uh, where he broke into the first team in in '96, uh, but he helped the Bantams uh, gain Premier League promotion in 2000 and 2001 season. With uh, Bradford facing relegation and financial difficulties, he uh, made the switch to Newcastle for two million pounds. You know, seen as a bit good bit of business. And uh, during his uh, time at Newcastle, he had to fight for his spot with Titus Bramble. And Jonathan Woodgate, so you can already see the sort the sort of quality is there. Like uh, Woodgate generally was the starting one, and Bramble and O'Brien would have to fight for who would be with him. His his career actually started very well at Newcastle. He uh, scored in uh, the derby against Sunderland, and uh, in his first season, Newcastle finished in Champions League uh, qualification um, spots. But uh, and he got his first international call up. Not for the country where he was born in, England, but for uh, Republic of Ireland, as mentioned earlier. Um, but here begins the beginning of a uh, stream of events that uh, sort of follows him for the rest of his career. Uh, so poor form starts 
and um, an ever lower league finish for Newcastle means they were looking to offload him. Uh, Bramble would finally won the position from him, essentially. Yeah. Uh, so he signs in 2004. That's like, going from, uh, that's like going from hepatitis A to hepatitis B. <laughs> so he signs in 2004-2005 for the one and only Portsmouth. Uh, he became the first signing uh, under Alan Perrin. So we're talking about the biggest flop manager uh, mm. in ports of history. And uh, again, it was £2 million. So this is quite a few years later and he's still, you know, considered, you know, to be worth about that. Um, he started the season absolutely poorly. Like it was, he, and was soon replaced by the ever-present Linvoy Primus. So again, you know, he, he had to fight for a spot against Bramble and I love Linvoy, but Linvoy was never, you know, a quality centre-back. For Portsmouth, he just was magic, but in reality, he just wasn't great. But So Linvoy gets him out of his spot. Uh, then uh, he breaks back in slightly, then gets injured. Again, something that continues throughout his career. Redknapp turns back up at, uh, at Fran Park and uh, puts him up for sale after just 32 appearances for the club. So from there... He goes on and signs for the same team everyone signs for in the 2000s, Bolton Wanderers. Um, he actually gets off to a flying start at uh, Bolton. He, he even starts cap- captaining the team in UEFA Cup games. Um, he was named their player of the season, and that's the only accolade he ever sort of wins in his whole career. I'm struggling to... This is the Robbie Savage Hall of Fame. He seems like a half-decent... No, 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 he's not. He, he, you know, he couldn't, he couldn't. Apart out, from the tightest Bramble. He couldn't get Bramble out of the team. He couldn't get Primus out of the team. Um, he always sort of start, apart from Portsmouth, where he start poorly. He always seems to start okay for a club and then just fades he's, away. Peter out, yeah. Yeah, so however, so it does well that first season with Bolton. But the next year, he's uh, lost his starting spot to Zat Knight. So again, being replaced by players who you might consider for the Robbies out of the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Um, after a few more injury-prone, uh, like, you know, he's injury-prone for the rest of his time there, basically. Uh, they decide to loan him out. So he goes on loan to the team that released him as a kid, and that being Leeds United. So he starts, again, starts very well at Leeds. Uh, the loan's contract is extended. He um, comes up against his old team, Portsmouth, and he puts the ball into his own net twice. <laughs> well, it's not great, obviously. Uh, but for some reason, Leeds are like, yeah, do you know what? We're signing you on a permanent deal. So he joins the Yorkshire club permanently. Um, carries on having a few more injuries, but he manages to get back into the squad. And at the start of the next season, uh, he's in the starting game against Southampton. He heads the ball back to the keeper, where Adam Lallana actually just smashes it into the goal. Um, so... Again, not not great. Uh, from there, he, uh, he he ends up playing Bradford, and he's getting he's having an absolute terrible time. Leeds are losing, and uh, Leeds sub him off in the second half to booze from both the Bradford and the Leeds fans. Um, from there, he's out the side for three whole months. Yeah, uh, but luckily for him, a few other players are injured and suspended. So they, they put him back in. Uh, yeah, they put him back in, and uh, he uh, he doesn't do he doesn't do well. He loses his spot as soon as the people are back. Um, a few teams are thinking about loaning him out, 
But Leeds, for whatever reason, say he can't go. So he uh, he then goes to the manager and says, I'm never playing for Leeds ever again. That's it. I'm done here. You won't loan me out. The manager is sacked and he gets, makes himself available. He says, oh, I'll play. I will play. But mm-hmm. the incoming manager is Neil Warnock, who puts him straight on the transfer list and uh, gives his squad number away. So that's just how much wanted he was there. From there, he moves to the MLS and plays for Vancouver uh, for two seasons. And while trying to negotiate a new contract, they, they let him go and he retires. So obviously, he could be a bit of a troublesome figure as well. So in his international career, like I said, he made 26 appearances for Ireland, went to the 2002 World Cup. But in 2008, he was picked to play a friendly against Brazil and he just didn't turn up to training. So then he texts the manager and just says, I'm retired from international duty. And that's how he tells them. So mainly he's going in on the back of always falling apart. Really unprofessional. And uh, and yeah, for, for the fact that for Ireland, he just texts the manager saying retired. For Leeds, he just decides I'm not playing anymore. Um, and obviously at Leeds, some of those mistakes were just ridiculous. Two goal, two own goals against Portsmouth is just... Yeah, that is savage. That is savage. That is Robbie Savage. (laughs) Um, And that's why he's in the Hall of Fame. Fair enough, fair enough. My turn then. So over the weeks, I've inducted many a French player, David (laughs) Ngo, Jean-Alain Boomsong. And this week is no exception. If we're talking strikers with a terrible goal ratio, particularly in the Premier League, then look no further than Jeremy Ali Adier. Now, he was at Arsenal far longer than I expected, with him being part of the youth setup in 1999 and getting his senior debut in 2001. He was contracted with Arsenal up until 2007, so he was at Arsenal for eight years as a senior player and scored one goal in the league and nine overall. But in that time, to be fair to him, he did have loan spells with his time in Celtic, with whom he played two games scored no goals. Then he had a loan spell with West Ham, scored no goals, and a loan spell with Wolves, but in the Championship, where he scored twice. He was then, in 2007, signed for none other than one of our favourite North teams, Middlesbrough, for £2 million. And in his first season, he didn't actually score five times in all competitions, but he also got a three-match ban for slapping Javier Mascherano in the face. Uh, and then he helped Middlesbrough get relegated uh, and only scored 12 times in three seasons, which is abysmal. He then moved back to Arsenal's training ground um, <laughs> where he teamed back up with Arsene Wenger. And even though he was a free agent, Arsene Wenger still was, you know, he fought very high of him and helped him get a move to Ligue 1, where he got a move to Lorient, or if you're English, Lorient. Uh, after a shaky first season, he would become a star striker uh, in his second season, getting 19 goals in one campaign and scoring 31 goals over three seasons, which is still a pretty terrible ratio, um, but much improved on his time at Arsenal and uh, other clubs. Uh, he helped Lorient go from one point from being relegated to back-to-back eighth-place finishes. Um, he then moved to a Qatari club, Um Salah, for one season and then moved back to Lorient uh, where he retired having only scored 65 goals throughout his entire career that's why Jeremy Aniadier is in the Robbie Savage 
Hall of Fame. Great name, though. No, fantastic name. I, that's another reason why I put him in. It's just so I can say Jeremy Aliadier. <laughs> Great name. Great name indeed. But it's time now for our first quiz of the podcast. It's deal or no deal. Okay, here we go. These are my transfers for Harry. If you haven't played the game before, you can play along at home. Let us know how you get on. Uh, this is the transfer game. It's basically true or false, but is it a deal or is it a no deal to tie into the Northeast theme? First of all, Mr. Harry Hansford, Duncan Ferguson. Did he move from Newcastle United to Tottenham Hotspur to 3.75 million? Deal or no deal? Oh, mate, I don't... I have no idea. I can't remember at all what clubs he played for. Um... Let's go for no deal. Correct. Okay. I thought I um, might have tricked you there. But uh, yeah, he moved from Everton to Newcastle and then moved from Newcastle back to Everton. Okay. Um, yeah. So well well played. Well played there. Number two, Robbie Fowler. Yeah. Did he move from Liverpool? Yeah, he has. He's a bit like, isn't he an Elka club of uh, <laughs> getting getting as many uh, contracts as possible? Uh, did he move from Liverpool to Leeds United for £12 million? Pounds? Ooh. Which way? Round. Yeah. Mm. Shit. Um, deal? Correct. Well, remember, yeah, he went from Liverpool, Leeds, then Man City, then back to Liverpool, I believe. Um, nice two for two so far number three did Quinton Fortune move from Manchester United to Bolton Wanderers on a free deal I mean no deal? everyone moved to Bolton on a free didn't they so let's, let's say let's say deal oh god it's a deal yeah that's an obvious one wasn't it free for free this could be a glorious, glorious one. Number four, Park Ji Sung, part of that Korean team we've been speaking about all, all the time. Did he move from Inter Milan to Manchester United for four million pounds? Deal or no deal? It's a no deal. He came from a PSV. He did. Another high-profile player getting in trouble here. Last but not least, David Villa, Spanish striker. Did he move from Sporting Gijon? to Real Zaragoza for 2.43 million. Deal or no deal? Oh, this, this sound, I'd have no, hmm. I'm going to say deal, but I have no idea. It was a deal. Five oh, for wonderful. five. Fair play. You can do no wrong. Yeah, so Damavir had, had the most amazing career. Did start off as a youngster at Sporting Gijon and then he was that amazing striker at Real uh, Zaragoza when he won the Copa del Rey in 2003 and then went on to Valencia yeah. from there. Um Amazing man, amazing striker, probably one of the best in the, for the last 30 years, certainly. But five out of five, we do a no deal. Um, no pressure for me, though. I'm not expecting yeah. to do well. And because it's, <laughs> it's because it's Harry, he's going to give me some ludicrous. Um, ludicrous so I, I like to keep it keep to a theme. So they're all players that are actually in that team of the tournament of 2002. Excellent. Um, so some of them, are, some of them are obvious. Some of them. Might not be as much. <laughs> so, so that Turkish but, defender 
Al Hogan. Did he move from Trump on to... <laughs> No, I've not quite been that bad. So, uh, obviously, all these players have been mentioned already. So, starting with Claudio Reyna. So, did he move from Sunderland to Fulham for two and a half million pounds? Definitely played for them. I'm pretty sure he went to Man City first and then to Fulham. Might have got that wrong, but that's my instincts. So, no deal. I think he moved to Man City. Correct. Yeah, he, he went. So he actually had the deal set up for Fulham, and then uh, it fell through. And then Man City came in with the same offer, two point five, and took him. So yeah, well done. That's that's one. Okay. So Miro Miroslav closer. Did he move from Kaiser Slaughter to Bayern Munich for five million? Um. That's uh, deal. It's it's no deal. He actually goes to Werder Bremen for five million, and then uh, from Werder Bremen on a free to buy Munich. Fuck's sake! Yeah, it was just such, right. an ob- such an obscure team. Uh, so then, Rivaldo does he does he leave Barcelona for AC Milan on a free? Deal. Correct. Uh, so then. Fernando Herrero, does he leave Real Madrid for everyone's favourite northeast side, Bolton Wanderers? Deal. It's actually no deal. He oh, first you bastard! Goes to Al Rayan in uh, Qatar, like everyone. Oh, like and I was going to say, Al. Al as if, what are you doing, you moron? As if I was going to say, Al. What? I didn't even know the team. Yeah, but all you had to say was no deal. You didn't have to say the team. Oh, fair point. <laughs> so what? Well, so you've got, so you've got two he, out of four. He went to, he went to Al-Hahan and then went to Bolton. Yeah. Basically, weird, basically, um, McManaman was playing at Bolton and uh, he'd already got Ivan Campo over from Madrid. And he was like, oh, you need to get Herrero. He's, he's, he's not got a club. And that's how that happened. Mm-hmm. And uh, he very, he very also very, very close got Rivaldo to come, didn't he? But uh, yeah. you can save that for a uh, Balak. We did it last week, didn't we? Didn't oh, did we? Did you, yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah pretty So then, um, that time machine's not working, is it? No. <laughs> so then, last one oh, to God. make it three out of five. Did Roberto Carlos go from Palmeiras to Inter Milan? Deal. It is correct. Well done. Three out of five. Slight redemption. Slight redemption. Fair enough. Fair enough. That's the end of deal or no deal. Disappointed there. Disappointed. But there we are. <laughs> Particularly because I've looked at Fernando here so much in Wikipedia. But as soon as like <laughs> as, as soon as the name comes up, we just our way oh, hand. Bowen, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I, was, I mentioned him earlier as well. I think that's why. There we go. Yeah. Fair, fair play. Five out of five. You can't argue with that. Moving on to the final final round. Starting eleven. Malari. That's a good ball for Roberto Carlos. Popped into the penalty area towards Zidane. Oh, fantastic! This is the round when we have to guess a starting lineup from the noughties in under three minutes. It's being a World Cup themed one. I've got a World Cup themed team for Harry, but Harry, who have you got for me? Yeah, I'll go first got, if that's all right. Yeah, I've got a World Cup. Uh, let me get a timer. I've got a World Cup uh, team for you. So I've actually gone for. For Brazil's side that started against England in the quarter final. 
of the 2002 World Cup. Okay. The Brazil side. Yeah. I want to give myself a chance of winning this game because I'm terrible. Oh. <laughs> can... You don't know. You did well last week. You got 10 Yeah, I did all right last week. I did all right. Uh, they're playing a 3 4 3. If that helps. Are you ready? Okay, go on. <laughs> all right, ready? Go. Yeah. Um, in goal, Dida. No. Uh, Tafarel. No. Marcos. Yes. Uh, what's what? what uh, Ronaldinho, obviously. Ronaldinho, yeah. Ronaldo. Yeah. Rivaldo. Yeah, that's your three up front. So now you've got three at the back, four in midfield. Uh, Cafu. Yes. Roberto Carlos. Yes. Ed Milson. Yes. Uh, Smashing it. Zay Roberto. Ronaldinho, no. I said Ronaldinho. You said Ronaldinho. Um, who else is knocking about right now? Robbie Savage, Hall of Famer. Edison. Yes. Um, of course, yeah. I've not mentioned him. Brazil, Brazil, Brazil. Kaka, Suarez, him. Zico. I was thinking of Zico. Romario. You're looking for a midfielder and two playing at the back. Who's playing at the back? Catherine, better Carlos. Thiago Silva, it's too early. Oh, um, who's that guy in Milan? Lucio. Yes. Um, Gilberto Silva, Arsenal player. Yes. Um, how many have got left? Just over a minute. For what for what positions? And you're looking just for the last person playing in that three out of the back. But oh, essentially you're playing threes in the centre of it and obviously you've oh, got two Carlos wing, two and Cassidy who are uh, playing as like wing backs. Two wing backs. Um Da, 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 da. Uh, we also playing for Brazil defences at that time. No seconds. idea. Literally, he was Brazil. Brazil. Pepe. No, he's Portuguese. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm just trying easy, to think easy, of. Easy mistake. Trying to think of um, body Madrid defenders. Who was Brazilian defender at that time? I, can't, I couldn't even tell you. Um, Carlos Alberto. Carlos, no. he's, he must be in his 50s and at least he's sure he wasn't playing um, oh god I really don't know 10 no no idea sorry 5 4 3 2 1 it's a uh, Roque Junior Roque oh, Junior did he play for Bayern Munich Roque Junior uh can't say I know, I'm afraid. Yeah, but 10 out of 11 is incredible. So, Harry, I have for you, because sometimes you give me quite difficult ones. Oh, God. I was going to give you a more difficult one in the Italy squad that um, based South Korea, but I thought that was too difficult. So, I was going to go for the French squad that lost 1 0 
to Senegal in the group stages. If that's okay with you. French team lost. 1-0 in the group stages, famously yeah. in the first on opening the first game day. of the 2002 World Cup. Okay. So I know who's not there. <laughs> Three, two, one, go. Henri's playing. Uh, is he starting? Yes, he is. All right, cool. So Dan wasn't there. Uh, goal, French goalkeeper. Oh, he played for United, didn't he? Um, Barthez. Barthez. Yes. That's probably about as much as I'm going to get. <laughs> um, oh, Vieira. Yes. Of course. Uh, who was the other striker we had? Uh, Mentioned him earlier. Scored a golden goal at 2000 Euros. Oh, Trezeguet. Yes. All right, that's four. I'm quite happy with four, to be honest. Um, <laughs> um, partnering Vieira in midfield was another Arsenal player. His surname is small in French. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, Emmanuel Petit. Yes. Um, oh, they had. I always remember. He didn't have to do much, but I always remember him. Uh, oh, oh, Boff, isn't it? It's like. Yes, Frank Leboeuf. Frank has it, Leboeuf. Um, who else do I have? One, two, three, four, five, six. It's not great, is it? Six. Uh, to blank in that. That's what I mean. Sometimes it's all right, isn't it? Um, couple minutes left. Um, another the other Arsenal winger. Winger. To Arsenal for a few years, early 2000s, part of the Northeast Invincible side. What oh, nice. <sighs> Arsenal winger in the Northeast. French. They had so many French players. Come on. They did. To um, Chelsea come on, think of it. A famous Chelsea defender as well. He sometimes played in midfield. He's an icon on FIFA. Oh, the, oh, the, the midfielder is like, like Wil, Wilfred or Wil, Wil, Yes, yes. What does a what does a leaf do when it's going bad? Will. Will. Oh, is it like Will Wilward? Wilted. Yeah. I'll give you that. Sylvan Wiltord. Wiltord. Okay. Wilted. Oh. Yeah, you can pronounce it that way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You're missing. You're missing a very famous defender who played for Barcelona. Defender played for Barcelona. French guy. His, his, his son is now a striker for Borussia Mönchengladbach. What centre back or right back? He's. Uh, I think he played right back, but it was the centre back sometimes. His son plays for Borussia Mönchengladbach. His son's called Marcus. 
That's, I'll play, that's probably for you. FIFA career moment is in the German league. <laughs> How do I not know this? Um, Marcus. Oh shit! Uh, it's like Furum, isn't it? It's a, yeah. What's his dad's first name? Um, it's a bit of a girl's name. Oh yes, yes. It's like it's Lillian, isn't it? All right. I'll give you that, Lillian Turum. Turum, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, not long there for twenty seconds. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That's not great, is it? One, you two, should... three, four, five, yeah. six, seven, eight, eight. Uh, is there any really other ones I should be getting? Uh, away or quite obscure? Yeah, you should get the kind of former Chelsea defender, um, midfielder, and there's another one who played. He, we talked about him last week when he rocked up at Bolton. No one expected him to rock up at Bolton. Oh, I mean everyone. Yeah, and one of them you just won't get because I can't even remember. Ten. Nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, and it's over. out of eleven, which isn't yeah. too bad. Um, you are missing the one you. I only missed three, isn't it? Yeah, the one you were never going to get was um, Vicente. Uh, Lizarazu, um, who I'll be honest, I, I can't even remember. Um, uh, the other two you might have got was the former Bolton player, was Yuri Jorkaev, um, who we've spoken about a little bit in the past. And yeah. The one perhaps you should have got was Marcel. <laughs> Marcel. Mate, oh, don't do this, just tell me who it is. Marcel Desai. <laughs> Oh, his head. Is yeah, in his yeah. Hands. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm not too upset with that way. I think yeah. I probably would have done worse with the Italian team. <laughs> yeah, 100. Um, percent Substitutes that came on: Dribble, Cisse came on, and Christoph oh, wow. and Christoph Dugary, who um, played at Birmingham City. Yeah, Cisse is one of those in the Elka club as well, isn't he? Oh, 100. Percent. Yeah, definitely, without a doubt. Um, so you smashed me in Deal or No Deal, and um, I smashed you in uh, Arm Eleven. Well, not inside the lineup. Even it wasn't even a smash; it was just a gentle, a gentle withdrawal. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but there we go. That is it this week for the 2002 World Cup Team World Lives podcast. Thanks a lot for listening and for joining us. As ever, do not forget to get in touch with the show on at Team World Lives at Gmail uh, on the email that rhymes. Probably rhymes for a reason, Gmail and email, doesn't it? And I've only just worked that up. What an idiot <laughs> I am. Um, and of course, get in touch with us on Twitter, follow us on Twitter, and at Team of Lives, and uh, on Instagram at all11.football. Drop us a line if there's anything you want us to talk about in the future. Next week, we've got a special episode as our end of series special. We'll be doing a major, major quiz, all things naughties, uh, with an independent adjudicator. So uh, join us again next week. Until then, sayonara. Team. Find more great shows or join the team at sport-social.co.uk. Sports Social.
Social Podcast Network. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.